What's up, y'all? I got a dance deal for you, Chicago. Hubbard Street Dance heats up the Harris Theater stage with its spring series of joy next week. Now, this is some of the most dynamic, cutting-edge contemporary dance made by the world's leading choreographers right here in Chicago. I'm excited for Echoes of Our Ancestors by Maria Torres, among other creators. But you can only catch it for three performances between May 17th and May 19th. Luckily, CityCast Chicago listeners can get tickets in any section for 20% off using code CityCast online or over the phone. Visit HubbardStreetDance.com for details and use code CityCast. Today on CityCast Chicago. Inside Mayor Brandon Johnson's newest proposal to house migrants, will Chicago get city-owned grocery stores and celebrating Mexican Independence Day all weekend long? Joining me are the duo from Block Club Chicago, Madison Saavedra and Jamie Nesby-Golden. It's Friday, September 15th. I'm Jacoby Cochran, and this is what Chicago's talking about. Good morning, Madison. How you feeling today? Good morning. I'm feeling good. It's the end of the week. Had a good bagel. No complaints. And welcome back to the National Association of Black Journalists' 2023 Journalist of Distinction, the ghost of Jamie Nesbitt-Gold. And welcome back to CityCast Chicago. Uh, the, the reports of my demise have been greatly exaggerated. I'm still alive. Thank you for having me. <laughs> Before we jump into the stories that dominated headlines this week, I want to start with a, a on a lighter note, something we've been talking a lot about on the podcast the last couple of weeks, which is dating in Chicago. We've been playing this alphabet dating game where me, our producers, newsletter editor, marketing coordinator, we came together to try to think of some creative date ideas across the city. And so I wanted to ask you all, do y'all have a go-to or a favorite or a date spot that means a lot to you that you wanted to put CityCast listeners on? And uh, Jamie, I'm going to start with you. I, I don't know why, because I don't date. <laughs> Putting you on blast. <laughs> I'm married. We don't date. Uh, <laughs> what is that? <laughs> I'm not familiar with, uh, you know... Dude, back in the day, and again, I'm aging myself. Um, there were like, I mean, well, okay, so so spoken word videos, like, I mean, okay. like grown folk stories is a good like date night thing. It's coming back next Thursday. Nice, nice. Um, the Japanese gardens in the back of the uh, Museum of uh, Science and Industry. Okay, um, which is a really great. Well, at some point, I think it closes for the season, but for the summer. In spring. But somewhere between outside at the Japanese gardens or inside somewhere on your Love Jones grown folk stories type vibe. I like that. Yeah. I like that. Madison, what is a, a go-to date spot for you or what's a spot in Chicago that you think is picturesque for a good date night? Yeah, no, I mean, I, I'm, I'm in a long-term relationship, so we got to keep it creative. And I said the most, the, the recently the most creative one we did is we went on a uh, six Figadilla historic bus tour together. Okay. Um, uh, just like a weekend afternoon. It was lovely. You know, I think it's a perfect first date, a hundredth date, somewhere in the middle date or a friend date. It was so much fun. And then we got lunch in Pilsen afterwards because it was a Pilsen tour. Mm -hmm. um, but for something more low key, I would say you can't go wrong with hanging out on the lakefront. 
popping up a hammock or laying down a picnic. It's picturesque. It's beautiful. Really, we're ever on the lakefront, but I do live on mm-hmm. the far north side. So I have to give a shout out to North Shore slash Pratt Beach. I'm a big fan of a date walk, a picnic on the lake. Um, I love grown folks stories. I, I've spent some evenings there every third Thursday of the month. But no, we got some great suggestions. And if you want to hear what the team came up with, we've got Alphabet Dating Part 1 and Part 2. I'll drop links in the show notes. Spoiler alert, uh, Sydney Madden beat out Simone Alisea, and I beat out marketing coordinator Jermaine Thomas. Uh, the polls... From Hey Chicago may something say something different, but if you want to vote on who you thought, I'll drop the link for that as well. Uh, every week we bring in some friends from across the city to talk about the stories that particularly matter to them this week. And Madison, I want to start with you. I mean, over the last year and especially throughout Brandon Johnson's early freshman term, one of the huge uh, concerns has been how is Chicago going to show up and provide resources for the thousands of migrants that have arrived since last August. And now as we're getting closer to yet another winter, Mayor Brandon Johnson is floating some new proposals. Can you tell us about his latest plan, which kind of looks like something coming out of New York City? Yeah, no, I mean, like you said, it, it looks similar supposedly, the plan at least, to what's in New York. So these are big winterized tents that would have, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure they would have like bathrooms and showers, things, you know, already kind of built in, particularly to get folks out of police stations. Um, You know, there's, I think, close to 2000 people staying in police stations and both of the city's airports. Uh, And some of those police stations are getting so like full that people are sleeping on the sidewalks outside so that's definitely the priority in terms of like who's going to be housed there but concrete plans still like there's still a lot of questions on like where these would be how much they would cost how long would they be up um you know older people were briefed last week um and even kind of after that briefing there was still a lot of questions Mm-hmm. I believe there was a meeting earlier this week about maybe putting up a shelter on 115th and Hosted at the former site uh, of a Jewel Osco. And if anybody has walking, uh, have walked past that site, it's been sitting there since 2007. Just the, the bare bones of what used to be a thriving grocery store in this neighborhood. And I think in some ways that marks the tension that we've seen in a lot of these conversations, Madison, where a community will say, well, well, that used to be a grocery store. That used to be a community center. That used to be a school. And obviously the, these are places that are large enough to host, you know, maybe dozens, dozens, even hundreds of people. Uh, but But have we seen that tension, you know, ramp up or down uh, with Johnson's newest proposal? I I think it maybe is too early to say and if it's ramped up or ramped down. At that meeting, neighbors echoed a lot of the sentiments that have already been expressed. Like you said, that these are already disinvested communities that they deserve housing. They deserve grocery stores. They deserve community centers and parks. Um, And so I think a lot of the frustrations is like, we don't have those things, but you're going to put this massive massive like refugee tent camp that might have amenities that no other neighbors would even have access to, you know, other people in the neighborhood experiencing homelessness. So I think I I don't know what the solution there is. I don't know what city officials are necessarily trying to do to quell those concerns other than try their best to keep people in the loop. But it's a fast evolving situation. So, you know, federal funds have been used to send migrants here, but we still need more funding to help. And 
and it's necessary. I mean, like we're facing like a multi-million dollar deficit. I was going to say, what was it? A five hundred and twenty-eight million dollar budget shortfall, way, way more than what was projected. Yeah, and Johnson is like, yeah, I'm not going to raise property taxes. We're going to have to figure this out. But they really do have to communicate because if I'm hearing something from city one, if I'm hearing one thing from city hall and another thing from the older person, and mm-hmm. they're like, y'all not, y'all not on the same page, sis. Like this isn't, you know. Yeah. Madison, you've been covering this for, you know, the majority of the year. You've talked to arriving migrants. You've talked to organizations on the ground. What are you going to be watching for? Because we've heard this, uh, that with the Democratic National Convention coming to Chicago, governors in these Republican-led states, a la Texas, a la Florida, they plan on continuing this process. So we'll continue to see hundreds and thousands of people arriving to Chicago who still need humanitarian aid, who still need shelter, a pathway towards citizenship, you know, regardless of if the, the system can handle it or not. Yeah, I think the thing to look out for is officials at the city, state level, particularly putting more pressure on federal leaders, because at the end of the day, some of the system systemic changes that we need the overhaul to like the immigration system that has to come from the federal government, particularly work authorizations. Uh, There's been a big push to encourage the Biden administration to streamline the permitting process so that people can be self-sufficient. They won't need to stay in a city-run shelter for months and months and months. You know, they'd be able to, in theory, move on faster and get started on their lives. Because they would have a job. They would have an income. I think people I've talked to are are optimistic, um, but I think they also know that realistically, immigration policy changes in this country have been almost impossible. I was going to say top down and very much impossible. Yeah. But, you know, I think a lot of people are like, there's there's really only so much that local leaders can do. Yeah. From this story to another that is constantly being talked about on the south and west sides of Chicago, uh, it's seemingly disappearing grocery stores. It feels like every year we are reporting on more and more just up and vanishing from south and west side communities. And now, Jamie, there is a study um, to see if there is an opportunity for the city to step in and provide some assistance. Uh, Can you catch us up on this? Mayor Johnson's office has introduced this idea of how they're going to, you know, possibly explore like um, a city-owned grocery store that would con- that would focus on these food deserts on the south and west sides, um, and you know, of course, this is in response to all of these closures and the fact that like a lot of these stores sort of come in, take TIF funds, um, maybe stay open for like five, six years before packing their bags and leaving after getting all the incentives, and uh, you know, of course, the neighborhood takes a hit. Uh, from that as well. So the idea is to, you know, sort of create this municipal, this, this city-owned grocery store um, to make sure that South and West Siders have access to fresh produce and food and resources. Um, but there is a little bit of pushback in that folks are a little wary of the idea of a government-owned grocery store. And they think that the um, the money would be better suited uh, in sort of supporting independent mom and pop stores or grocery stores that are trying to, you know, create these spaces um, in these impoverished neighborhoods. And I, and I, I, you know, I think I tend to, I can see that side in that, like, you know, folks who live there know what they want and it would make sense mm-hmm. to listen to them. But 
on the other, on, on the flip, like, you know, maybe a city-owned grocery store is the answer because so far, you know, putting our faith in private in, in private enterprise to sort of fix this desert problem hasn't been working. So Exactly. We've, you're right. We've seen in just the last, let's say, five to 10 years, mm-hmm. we've seen all these closed down in multiple neighborhoods. We just saw Walmart leave for multiple neighborhoods yep. last April. We saw Whole Foods abruptly pack up and get out of here. We've seen Target's closed down. Yep. And so while there definitely has been pushback to, you know, how do we support the the local businesses? I think the state legislator in this $20 million um like investment that they want to give into local grocery stores, maybe even municipal owned grocery stores. Okay. I think they can do sort of a both and yeah. they can provide the money for uh, local grocery owners uh, like a, a th- this floor, yeah. this this idea that like the bottom shouldn't be you just can't afford groceries. There's no grocery store in your neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Sure, your ceiling might be, you know, a, a high end grocer somewhere. Right. You want to go to Mariano's, but. I mean, I don't even know what the future of Mariano's and Julesy is with the multi-billion dollar merger hanging over their head, right? And so my hope is that it moves past the study phase, right? Mm-hmm. They're studying mm-hmm. it right now. There are no right. guarantees uh, that the city city will open these. But my hope is that what we learn from this study will be put to use. Are you self-conscious about your smile? Do you only allow yourself a closed mouth grin? Well, with Aligner Experts, there's no reason for you to diminish your smile. As orthodontists, they have the privilege of witnessing the remarkable transformation of patient smiles, which often translates into a profound boost in their confidence. Yet, there always seems to be a deterrent. I ain't got the time, I don't have the funds. Luckily, Aligner Experts is redefining convenient and accessible clear aligner solutions. With customizable treatments, transparent pricing, and their cutting edge 3D scanners and dental monitoring technology, you can transform your smile through the convenience of your own schedule. Stop in at their West Loop or Lakeview Clinic today for your complimentary smile assessment. Aligner Experts, your destination for advanced clear aligner solutions. P.S. They got another clinic on the way, so stay tuned for their Old Town location. Speaking of this balance between private interests and listening to the public goods, I think our next story embodies this uh, in, in more ways than one. And that is the ongoing story of Riot Fest in Douglas Park. It has been there since it moved from uh, Humble Park almost eight years ago, and now it is set to put on another three-day festival with an expected attendance of 50,000 people daily. And this has a lot of people across the city of Chicago excited. Let's be honest. Some people want to be out there to see The Cure, the Foo Fighters, and Queens of the Stone Age. But on the other hand, people still have major concerns about what a festival in a public park means for neighbors. Uh, What's some of the latest that we've heard? Uh, Let's start with you, Jamie. So, okay, full disclosure, I will be at Riot Fest today and tomorrow and Sunday, perhaps. Uh, (laughs) And there may or may not be a plan to kidnap my favorite, you know, lead singer of of Foo Fighters. (laughs) But... Um, a lot of, you know, again, like for the last eight years, there have been like a lot of there's been a lot of tension between residents and organizers in that like these folks, you know, they take over the park with the setup. 
um, which takes weeks, and they have they, they have the event, then they have the breakdown, which you know um, also impacts like the park schedule. Um, and then there's the trash it leaves behind. Um, organizers have decided that they are going to you know try to you know offer free tickets, um, offer I, I think um, jobs and opportunities to work at the fest or help um, with you know working the fest speakers because you know shit gets loud. Yeah. Um, organizers have decided to to put the speakers away from hospitals and homes in order to mitigate that. But a lot of folks are like, yo, like, okay. And mm-hmm. and the concerns that Douglas Park neighbors have is similar to the ones that folks in, had, you know, when regarding like Lala in, in the Millennium Park. Like, you you schedule all these things, right, for the summer. And like festivals are supposed to be great and they love to see, you know, folks come and visit their 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 parks. But they also want to use their parks as well. Exactly. And when you are stacking, you're like NASCAR, Lala, you know. And meanwhile, like the residents who live nearby cannot use the park that they paid their tax payer money to uh-huh. use. Um, and I mean, that's fair. Like, it's a fair, it's a fair gripe. And particularly with Douglas Park, you know, like it's, 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 uh, you know, kind of gentrifying, but still has a lot of black and brown people living nearby. And sometimes this is the only thing you can do on a hot summer day is to go to the park and chill and hang. Mm-hmm. I'm curious to see like how this sort of plays out, and I'll be there um, today and tomorrow, and, and parts of Sunday to to yeah. talk to some folks and you know get some get some on the ground takes. So I'll keep you posted. You know, I I feel bad for the folks who are then left with their park kind of in disarray, but at the same time, I think you know some of Jamie and I's colleagues have talked to North, North Lawndale residents who say they are okay with the festival you know say it's grown on them it yeah it's grown they have said they're they were convinced like they the riot fest organizers tried to talk or you know talk to them and i guess they were convinced and like i think local business owners who maybe see a boost in business from visitors have you know a, a good view of it and I remember our, our one of our old colleagues talked to a woman who like has an airbnb in the area she's like yeah like this is Riot Fest is great. Like I get to fill my Airbnb is like, you know, my little side hustle. And like, that's, that's great for her. And like for other people who do have that benefit. Yeah. It feels like this conversation is almost always going to somehow come back to sort of access versus commerce for the people who have a, a vested interest in the lineup, uh, music festivals, you know, vendor markets or their local business or Airbnb having an impact or even their neighborhood. People are like, this might impact our property values or it brings more people to our neighborhood versus people who just want to access their park, people who don't want to allow music festival in. And it feels like in some ways those concerns don't end up equaling out the festival is going in on another year. And while two have moved out of Douglas Park um, this summer alone, um, you know, there really are no guarantees of of what the festival schedule in in Douglas Park will look like moving forward. Uh, Jamie, as someone who who is going to the festival, what do you think is You know, the balance there. Do you think we should be doing something like maybe a two percent community benefits tax on these these music festivals? Do you think there's more money to be gotten from these music festivals for our communities? I mean, two percent is a is a pretty decent ask. It's it's pretty equitable, if you ask me. And I and I think, you know, again, how given how much money it generates for the organizers, for the brand itself, like y'all can kick some cash down, like Mm -hmm. 
it's real cute that you want to give people free tickets and that's cute. That's nice. Like, yay. But, um, you know, you, people need stuff, something more tangible. It, it goes a long way. And I, I, and I think, you know, I get like there are going to be some neighbors who are not going to be satisfied with anything because they want like complete, you know, peace and quiet <laughs> in a large metropolitan city. But I think for the most part, folks are amenable to compromise. Mm-hmm. And if you can, again, just kind of make sure they're being heard, not only heard, but, you know, like acting on what, you know, they're telling you and or be, or, as long as you're being, as long as you're willing to act on what they're trying to tell you, like there's always room for compromise, I think. I don't, I don't know if it exists, but especially this summer, I heard how difficult it was for the smaller local street festivals to to maintain their financials. Um, So I'd love to see if more money was being pulled from these larger for-profit festivals and being funneled into maybe an account that our local street festivals can be pulling from. That's just just one suggestion. Maybe it's already happening. We we know our summer, summertime Chicago is not the same without festivals of all sizes and you know we're coming towards the tail end of summer which means we are going to be back in the planning stages and i hope next summer we're we're talking about maybe a more equitable more robust more community friendly schedule uh but but only time will tell every city cast chicago episode ends with some good news this could be a weekend event, some personal news, some professional news, but something uh, that motivates the CityCast listener to get through the day, get through the weekend, or to just get through this episode of CityCast Chicago. Madison, I want to start with you. September 16th commemorates Mexican Independence Day. And let's just be real, Chicago go hard every single year. Can you tell yeah. me why we go so hard and what are the many ways for us uh, to, to celebrate this weekend? I mean, Mexican Independence Day is a huge deal for, you know, the Mexican population and Mexico and outside of the country all over the United States. People love to celebrate Independence Day and they celebrate it for multiple days in a row sometimes. But (laughs) this weekend is kind of exciting because the Little Village Chamber of Commerce every year uh, puts on their annual parade down the iconic 26th Street, you know, like the near the Little Village Arch and everything. Mm-hmm. And this year is landmark, the first year. Landmark Little Village Arch. Yes, casual landmark Little Village <laughs> Arch. Yes, beautiful piece of architecture. Um, this year, the parade is actually taking place the day of Independence Day on Saturday, September mm-hmm. 16th, which I think is really exciting. Uh, you know, there's performers, there's people selling food on the sidewalks, there's tons of local businesses. Um, it should be a good time. Um, beforehand, there's also a 5K run same route as the parade along 26th Street. It's like a super family-friendly run-slash-walk. Mm-hmm. And then in South Chicago, there is a parade that kicks off at 87th Street uh, on Commercial Avenue. So that's a parade that will start at 1, head down Commercial to about 99th Street. Um, and that's Sunday. So Little Village Parade on Saturday, South Chicago on Sunday. Um, should be a good time. Come on. Plenty of events across the city. Um, The one in South Chicago will also be lining up with the huge mural fest this weekend where they'll be transforming viaducts and corridors across South Chicago, across West Inglewood. Uh, We can't talk about Mexican Independence Day without 
the car caravans, though, right? We're going to have our citywide parades uh, or we're going to have our neighborhood-specific parades. But citywide, you're going to see people, whether it's whether it's just in a straight-up car, you're going to see people in the minivan, you're going to see folks in the lowrider, and you're going to see that flag flying with a lot of pride. You know, over the last couple of years, it has sparked a little bit of confusion, road closures into downtown. So so what do we know about how the city plans to, to, to let people celebrate but also help keep people safe? According to the Office of Emergency Management and Communications, they won't be closing any roads this weekend. Okay. They did say that there could be some changes if they really needed to divert traffic flow, but there's no planned closures the way that, from my understanding, there was last year that created some chaos, like only residents could enter certain streets. But even I remember they told you know, some of our Jamie Nice colleagues that even when they did like show their ID and say like, hey, we live down here, like, please let us in. Like they were stuck for hours. So no planned closures. You know, they did say that, you know, car caravans that are a threat to public safety, that they will be it will be stopped. They will be, Mm -hmm. you know, possibly ticketed. Same thing with uh, drag racing, which I know has, you know, kind of popped up at some of these caravans. They also said that, you know, they they wouldn't necessarily let that slide. It's tough, you know, as someone who's <laughs> excited but also doesn't want to be caught in the traffic. Like, I I know my weekend plans and like, mm-hmm. I'm st- I'm not going to go. I'm not going to. You're not going to catch me in the loop <laughs> this weekend. Like, I'll just I'm just going to be up front. I won't be down there. I am a little worried about the traffic. So if you, too, are worried about the traffic, I would recommend if you can avoid it, you know, avoid it. Plan, plan accordingly. We'll drop yeah. the link to Madison's story so you can know uh, all of the celebrations that are going on. Um, you know, I hope the homies have a great time this weekend. Um, I, I expect to hear, hear a lot of uh, horn honking. I expect to see a lot of flags. And I'm hoping to pop up on a celebration or two across the city. I'm very excited um, for this weekend. Uh, Jamie, let's bring you in here for some good news. We talked about it all year long. It's the 50th anniversary of hip hop and a special museum is getting in on the celebration. Uh, Can you talk to us about it? The Chicago Hip Hop Heritage Museum, it's in Brownsville, um, tucked away in this little little house in like 45th in Indiana. It's really dope. I love Chicago house museums. Yeah, no, like it's really like a trip to grandma's house. If like, like I said, if grandma was like a B-girl, um, it was started by three friends who represent the like three of the five elements of hip hop, which I also thought was really cool. So mm-hmm. um, Brian Gorman's the DJ. Um, they're artist- artistic Roberts. He's the, the, graffiti artist and Kingdom Rock Sanders, Kariko, he is the MC, And they've been friends since high school, um, which was like 40 years ago for them. Um, and hey, they look good in this picture. Well, no, they are they're, they like we donate. Black doesn't crack, you know. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so like it all started with them. They have like 10,000 pieces of hip hop memorabilia just waiting to be, you know, displayed. And they only have room for like 1500 to put on display. Uh, so the re- the reception's been really dope. Um, the conversation that we had initially, supposed to be for like forty five minutes, ran in like two and a half hours. Like I didn't want to leave. Like it's just it's like chilling with your favorite uncles, or you telling <laughs> all the all the dirt and all the tea from back in the day. Like it was just come on, really dope. And I think like what I really love about it is that like regardless of how big or small your contribution, 
to local hip hop scene was. You 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 matter. You see yourself on the wall. Like um, I think Daryl told me about the time. Uh, I don't know how many people are familiar with Katie Got Bands, um, <laughs> right? You know, like dude, like I mean, you've seen the meme. You Come have. on, uh, we were after Katie over here. No, word. So like, one of her friends was visiting the museum. And saw her her photo on the wall and called her up and was like, yo, do you know you're here? And she's like, I didn't know that shit existed. What? <laughs> you know, she, let me come through. And she came through and was just blown by, like, the love she received. They want to make sure that, you know, Chicago is, you know, is has is respected in, in you know, in the hip-hop history. And, yeah. you know, I think when KRS says, you know, yo, like, y'all... Y'all were there. Y'all did this. You're part of it as much as New York is, as much as all the other cities are. And I think that recognition goes a long way. We're not we're not just Kanye and Common and no no, no we Katie no, Drillery Clinton bank guy band. Also, the other part is you know like folks are you know really tribal when it comes to different genres within within the within the the game, but they make it a point. Of course, like they they might not rock mm-hmm. with Jewel, but they're going to allow space for Jewel artists. So, um, so yeah, you can stop by. The, I think you have to make an appointment first. There's a link to the site of my article. Um, but definitely make time to go check out the Hip Hop Heritage Museum. You will have a blast. And we'll, we'll drop links to both stories uh, from the Hip Hop Heritage Museum to celebrating Mexican Independence Day across Chicago. Uh, those are two fantastic uh, pieces of good news. I've got one more for you before I get you out of here. And that's happening over in South Shore. The Connect South Shore Arts Festival is back this weekend. It's a two day arts festival over off of 70th and Jeffrey. Uh, they're going to have two days of music lineups. There's going to be yoga to start off both of the days of celebration. There's going to be a sipping thing think uh with jeff coons uh there'll be local vendors um and, and it's gonna be hosted by the homie mario uh smith and so make sure you stop by connect south shore arts festival even if it's for a little bit of time they had a a, a makeshift roller skating rink out there last year not sure it's gonna be out there again but um it's usually an exciting day over in south shore uh and so we've got three amazing pieces of good news for you today i have to thank our guests shout out to block club chicago's jamie nesbitt golden shout out to madison savager i appreciate y'all make it time for city cash chicago anytime thank you for having us this was dope as usual scooty gang scooty gang oh feeling left out <laughs> no anybody who comes on who who's down with a scooter you in the scooter gang <laughs> if you like chicago's emerging scooters madison you could join the team we haven't actually had a scooter meetup yet but it's a, it's a, a theoretical group okay well yeah i like to be invited to things yeah no <laughs> we got on down. there's more than enough room. <laughs> Before I let you go, I want to give a huge thank you to all the people behind CityCast Chicago. That's lead producer Simone Alisea, our newsletter editor Sydney Madden, our producers are Grant Irving and Lizzie Goldsmith, our marketing coordinator is Jermaine Thomas and Mariah McBride. The music we all love is from Sam Thousand, all the kimonos, and Mark Greenberg from the Mayfair Workshop. If you enjoy the show nearly as much as we enjoy making it, please leave us a rating and review wherever you listen to the podcast. And if you've got an idea for CityCast or Hey Chicago, leave us a text at 773-780-0246. Leave your name, your neighborhood, and your idea. I'll talk to you bright and early on Monday. Peace.